I'm a little bit more nervous than normal. We'll get into that a little bit as we go. Um, outside of God's gracious gift of salvation, think about the most generous gift that you've ever received. Perhaps it was something generous in that it was very costly, like maybe you got a new car. You know in the commercials when they have the big red bow on the top? Maybe, you, maybe, you, maybe that happened to you. Um, or a beautiful piece of jewelry. Or perhaps it was something very... Um, it was handmade that took a long time to craft or make by somebody. They just put a lot of time and effort into it. Um, or perhaps it was an action. Uh, someone just really went above and beyond for you. Um, that happened to my husband and me about 20 years ago. And I want to share this. is such an amazing story. It still gives me chills every time I tell it. About 20 years ago, he had applied to a job in... Austin, Texas. Several phone interviews had occurred, and then they wanted to fly him down for an in-person interview. And so he said, well, it looks like it's getting serious. Um, why don't you come with me? We can look at, like, housing and, you know, if we're going to do this. Um, so we drove to Little Rock because it was cheaper to fly out of Little Rock, go to Austin, um, go into a neighborhood, meet this lovely real estate agent in a model home, and she says, hey, get in my car, we'll take you around, we'll look at some more houses. And we just really hit it off with her. And she's a believer, and she's telling us all about her church, and so great. And then she's like, hey, by the way, our Sunday school class is having dinner tonight um, for Thanksgiving. Why don't you guys come? And we were like, sure, which is so weird, but we did. Um, so we go to these, these people's house, we have dinner with them, and while we're there, we get a phone call from Jeff's stepmother telling us that his dad was dying. We knew he was in the hospital when we left, but it was not, we didn't think it was that serious at that time. He had been in and out of the hospital over the past few years. <clears throat> so they uh, help us, you know, like we're immediately like, how, they, how can we help? Um, got the computer, you know, we're trying to figure out when's the next flight out, when can we get back, how fast can we get back to Memphis, um, and they pray for us and send us on our way, and our plan at that time was, we'll get up, we'll, we'll go ahead and pack up, we're going to drive to Dallas, and we're going to try to get the first flight out of Dallas. So we exchange phone numbers so we can keep up, they can keep up with what's going on, and before we get out of the neighborhood, our real estate friend, new friend, calls us and says, someone here wants to talk to you. And this man gets on the phone and he says, I have a small plane and I want to fly you back to Little Rock tonight. And to complete strangers did not know them at all. Um, there were some scary moments when it was a kind of frosty night in Austin and the plane literally was like one of those old cars that's like, are you trying to crank it? And they had to call like a golf cart to come out and like jump it off. It's really scary. <laughs> but we made it back within an hour of his death because of that. And after all of that, Jeff did not get the job offer. And so that was it. I mean, it was just like, to me, it was just God showing the the generosity of his people, his faithfulness to us in that situation. It was just, just really, really an unbelievable thing. And I'll never forget, if you can imagine, we're flying into Little Rock. Oh, by the way, 
not only did this man fly us back, but several of his friends um, from, the, from the group went with him so they could keep him awake on the way back because it was going to be the middle of the night. And we arrive in the Little Rock Airport, and I'm starting to think, okay, where's going to be that little jetway to come out? You know, we're, how are we ever going to find our car? Um, how are we going to get to our car? And we made it to our car. And I never forget, one of the guys was like, did you really feel like God was going to bring you all this way and not get you back to your car? You know, so it was really, really a faith builder for me. Well, I'm going to talk about giving today. How many of you listen to the MacArthur Sermon? Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to talk about giving today. I'm going to get into that more because it's one of the areas that God has really been dealing with me over and over again through Luke. Um, I don't think anything I have to say is going to be particularly new to you, but I, I do hope it's going to be beneficial. Because Jesus has had a lot to say about money and wealth and giving in Luke. Um, we've had the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12, the rich young ruler in Luke 18, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, just to name a few, and then we've had the parable of the, the talents and the minas. And there's just been a lot about it, and I've been very convicted. So let's go back and kind of set the scene again for today's passage. It's Passover week. Jesus entered Jerusalem. We, we studied that last week. He entered on the donkey. The people waving the palm branches, laying their coats down for him. He weeps over the city as he's coming into the city. He drives out the den of robbers in the temple, and he begins to teach in the temple each day. The chief priest and the scribes are looking for a way to destroy him while the regular people are hanging on his every word. So that's the setting of our passage. If you will look at Luke 21 with me, I'm going to read 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So Jesus was in the woman's court. When we think of going to church, I think, if you're like me, I think about going to the building. I think about going to Grace Van and going inside the building, and there's hallways, and there's classrooms, and there's a sanctuary. But when they were at the temple, the people, the Israelites were at the temple, they weren't in the building, the temple, where only priests could go. But there were courtyards around it, and um, there was an outermost court where the Gentiles could go. They could go no further. And then a little bit further, closer to the building, was the women's court. And then a little bit, and that's as far as the women could go. Wasn't just women there, but that's as far as they could go. And then the Israelite court was for the men. And then there was the priest court for just the priest. And then, of course, the sanctuary itself was just for priests. So the women's court is where Jesus is doing his teaching, the scholars, scholars believe. There were 13 metal trumpet-shaped offering boxes there that were designated for different types of offerings. So dropping the money in there would make noise, um, be noisy, and Jesus is watching the people. He sees these offerings take place of the rich and the widow. I know when uh, Carol talked a few weeks ago about all the contrast that Luke just sort of like, you know, layers this, this group contrasted to this group, contrasted this. Um, so notice the contrast here. We have the rich, they're well-dressed, the religious leaders, 
Um, they like to be seen. They like to be honored. And it's contrasted with this destitute widow. Mostly, most likely she's clothed in rags. One group is very powerful. The other is powerless. One has a lot and gives a lot, has a lot left over. One has almost nothing but gives everything. Um, one commentator I studied said, on three counts, she was despised by the religious establishment that saw poverty as a sign of God's rejection, widowhood as a cause for exploitation, and being a woman as being a second-class citizen. So she had three strikes against her. Now, when I first started studying <clears throat> for this, um, by the way, I picked out this, the MacArthur sermon last summer and never listened to it. <laughs> Never listened to it. I finally listened to it. But in my study, first thing I did was read commentaries that Jim Umloff here has loaned me. I have probably seven or eight, his whole library of Luke commentaries. So I read them all, and all of them, without exception, praised the widow and said, this was just such a, you know, um, a great, you know, example of sacrificial giving um, a lot of them, I would say, went beyond the text in assuming what her motives were, her righteous motives. Um, and then, after reading all of those commentaries, I went on an online website that referenced the MacArthur Sermon with a completely different viewpoint. And I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do now? Um, <laughs> because the idea is, for those of you who haven't listened to it, that Jesus might not be praising this widow that he might be lamenting the fact that she had given all she had, li all she had to live on due to manipulation by corrupt leaders. She had given it to a corrupt system. If you can think about, like, the elderly that give their money to TV evangelists, you know, that these TV evangelists have a way of manipulating them and making them feel like they need to give and plant the seed and make it multiply and all of those kind of things. Giving everything you have for a cause isn't necessarily a good thing. And once I had that sort of in my mind, I just sort of couldn't not see it anymore. It's like once I saw it, I couldn't see it anymore. Now, I want you to look, if you still have your Bibles open, look at Luke 20. The last three verses that come before Luke 21, and I'm going to read those for you. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. If you read those verses and then just continue right on into verse, uh, verse 1 of 21, without that chapter break, it does provide a different context. And then immediately after this, Jesus starts talking about, yeah, this temple that you see that you think is so beautiful, it's about to be destroyed. There's not going to be a stone left on top of one another. Um, so he's talking about judgment. And then if you think about it, actually, we're in Passover week. Jesus is about to be crucified. And the temple, for all intents and purposes, is not going to be relevant anymore. Um, the curtain is going to be torn, and she's given all she had to this, this system, this corrupt system. So I, 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 could, I can see all that. So what are we supposed to do when we are studying the Bible? We, we are supposed to see what the text says, try to figure out what it means, and then we ha actually have the questions, what does this mean for believers today? So... 
given that the fact that God has been dealing with me already a lot about giving, um, I'm going to do exactly what MacArthur said not to do, and I'm going to talk about giving and make this, make this uh, uh, about giving for me. Because I think that this is not telling us as believers that we shouldn't give sacrificially. I mean, it's, it's not. So the text actually says that Jesus saw the rich putting in money, he saw the widow put in her two coins, and he knew that she was extremely poor and that she had given all she had. He said that she put in more than all the others, which literally means she put in more than all of them put together. Now, obviously, that's not literally true math-wise. These two lepta could not equal more than all of them put together, but it did outweigh theirs proportionately. Um, One of the commentators said, God does not see things as we do. He does not count. He weighs. So I want to try to draw out some applications for us today, just some things that I saw for me that I want to share with you guys. Um, One of the things we also try to do every week is look for attributes of God. And I think first we can see that God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows everything about us inside and out. He sees our actions, and he knows our hearts. That's how Jesus knew what the rich gave and what the widow gave, and he knew that that was all that she had to live on. And even though Jesus says nothing about what her motive was, he knew what her motive was. He didn't, he didn't state it out loud, but he knew what her motive was, was, and he knows what ours is when we give. Psalms 33, 13 through 15 says, The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. So he knows all. Second, the second application was, I immediately thought, who do I resemble more, the rich or the poor widow? And I thought, first, I resemble the rich. And then second, I thought, I resemble the widow because I'm the rich giving two coins proportionately. Um, So I would ask you what I'm asking myself. Are you giving only out of your excess or do you give sacrificially? How much does it cost you to give what you give? What is the weight of it? C.S. Lewis said this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. And to my sorrow and embarrassment, I I would tell you I have plenty of comforts and luxuries and amusements and get to do most everything I want to do. Third, Jesus does not tell us, as I said, about the widow's heart, what it was, but assuming that she was devoted to God and her motives were pure and she was giving willingly, willingly, her gift meant that she totally trusted God to provide for her. Do we trust God like that? Do I trust God like that? What is your heart attitude about giving? Is it cheerful? Is, is it begrudging? From 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, um, we're told, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then another um, motivation, 1 Corinthians 13, 3. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So motivation does count, doesn't it? And the fourth thing I thought about was that giving involves a lot more than just money, though. We also have time and possessions and talents. How can you best utilize those things and give those things? I'm inspired by so many of you, um, my sweet co-leader who couldn't be here today because she's taking care of, uh, Aaron's taking care of Lewis, but just giving most of your time to mothering. I know what an all-encompassing job that is. Others of you are taking care of elderly parents. Others of you are working in all kinds of ministries. Um, And the ones of you that are here that are studying God's word, you are giving that time. Um, And that is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of your time to be here. If your mission and heart is to honor God with your time and your talents, that is so pleasing to him. So I want to be an encouragement to you. The Bible teaches us that actually our whole lives are to be given to God as a sacrifice. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Luke 6.38, which we've read this year, says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. And the message says it this way. I love this. Give away your life. You'll find life given back but not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity began, begets generosity. And then finally, the last application is that Christ is our standard and our example for giving. He left his kingdom. He left his father. He gave up all that glory. He took on flesh. He became one of us, but never sinned. Instead, he bore our sin on the cross. He paid the terrible debt that we should have had to pay. And there is no gift, no generous act that's more generous than that. Um, Jesus said in John 10, 17, 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down in my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And this week, of course, is an especially good time for us to examine our hearts about giving in light of all that Jesus has given to us. Um, If you all bear with me, I want to read just a little short story that I found um, on the uh, DesiringGod.org site. It's a story, a true story, um, of a missionary to South Africa from the 1980s, and it's a story about giving and a widow. And I just really love this, and I kept thinking about it all week, and I wanted to share it with y'all. Um, he, t- he says that um, <clears throat> the typical Christian worship, when he would go into these small, I have so much trouble saying this word, rural, rural, so hard, churches, their regular worship was usually a four-hour affair. And he had gone into this new church, and it says, after, wor- after hours of worship one day, I was happy to announce that our mission board back home in the States had granted the churches of our host country $10,000 to provide Bibles, train leaders, and start Bible studies in homes. 
Our sponsoring churches would not feel the loss of this amount of money, and perhaps that contributed to my slightly cavalier presentation. But I have no excuse. I should have known better. We knew that most of our audience made only $1 per day if they had a paying job. For them, $10,000 was a staggering amount of money, and in the context of apartheid, this sum was overshadowed by the fact that white Christians cared enough to give black Christians a significant gift. Given this context, $10,000 seemed like a massively sacrificial gift. Because I had placed my cultural awareness in neutral, I was not prepared for what happened following my almost throwaway announcement. A spontaneous offering broke out, and it lasted over three hours. The whole church began to clap and sing, with the women making a trilling sound with their tongues that I have been unable to emulate for 32 years. They began to dance in groups of four to six with mesmerizing grace. They would dance toward the handmade altar table at the front of the church. They would sway together in rhythm, two steps forward and one step back, slowly making their way toward the front, moving in harmony before the offering table, hiding money in their hands. They would mimic placing their money on the table and pull it away until, at a moment known only to them, they'd slap their money on the table. It was worship at its best. There was a joy of giving that was immeasurable. Kids began to beg money from adults. They would take whatever change they received, run to the tiny store next door, and exchange their money for even smaller coins so they could dance to the altar with their coins multiple times. Caught up in the exuberance of the moment, I noticed an old woman sitting by herself, seemingly unaffected by the joy of giving that surrounded her. After nearly two hours of spontaneous giving, this woman finally stood up and started making her way to the front of the church. She was aged, with wrinkled flesh, arthritic fingers, and a look of deep concern and determination on her face. She was too crippled to dance and too focused to sing. As she limped toward the altar, she reached into the front of her blouse and took out a knotted handkerchief. With crooked fingers and teeth, she slowly unknotted her handkerchief to reveal a small coin. When she reached the altar table, she slowly laid her coin on the rough wood. She stood by herself for a moment and seemed to caress the coin before slowly walking back to her bench. After hours of spontaneous offering, I went up to the front of the church with one of the leaders. I picked up the coin she had given. I had never seen such a copper coin in the seven years we'd lived in South Africa. I gave it to the leader, telling him who had given it, and asked him if he knew what it was. He stared at me before taking the coin and walking back where the old woman was still sitting. After about ten minutes, he returned with her story. What she had given was a British halfpenny. It was her life savings and retirement fund. It was all that she had had. What she did not know was that this coin was taken out of circulation in 1967. It had no value. It could buy nothing. Knotted in a handkerchief, stored in the front of her blouse, this coin had measured her hope for the future. Still, she gave it all to Jesus. With the leader's blessing, I took that halfpenny after placing a significant offering in her honor on that scarred table, and I've kept that coin for almost 30 years as a reminder. After hearing her story, we wanted so much to empty our pockets to help this old lady for her retirement. The local leader asked us to leave her alone. Don't you cheat her out of giving everything she has to Jesus. Don't cheapen her sacrifice. She belongs to us, and we will care for her. We will tell her story of sacrifice, and it will live for generations in this village. $10,000 was a generous gift from believers in America, yet a worthless British halfpenny taught me about sacrifice and giving all to Jesus, trusting him for the days to come. I can still see that old woman in my mind's eye today. I recall the way she limped 
and the difficulty she had unknotting her handkerchief. I remember the shock I felt after learning about her sacrifice and her trust in God for all tomorrow would hold. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Um, may we give in the same way. Father, thank you so much for this week that we have to reflect on your most, most generous gift to us, Father. May we realize that our lives are to be a gift to you, that we are to sacrifice all of our lives to you, Father. Um, And I pray that you will show us what to give to you, um, what to give to you monetarily, what to give to you with our time, with our possessions, Father, and that we will be cheerful and that we will give um, out of the joy that we have because of your gift for us. In Jesus' name, amen.